You are listening to Changing Careers, a podcast about how MBA careers are changing and how MBAs change their careers. I am Conrad Chua. Today's guest has had a very successful career in technology after he graduated with an MBA. Hamza Mudasir worked for Amazon and then Jagex, a company that is behind one of the most wildly successful multiplayer online games out there. Hamza took on more responsibilities at every turn and has been at the coalface of many digital transformation projects. Now, he works as an advisor to senior leadership who are leading such projects. He's also a visiting fellow at the Cambridge Judge Business School, where he's working with Dr. Kamal Munir on an upcoming book. I talked to Hamza about why it is so difficult for companies to embark on digital transformation, the role that storytelling plays in these projects, and how you can spot a project that just won't end well. First, Hamza talks about how he helps senior leadership. I help them on, uh, on three or four subject areas. The first one is this product management and product strategy, something that I've been doing for well over a decade in my career uh, in various companies. I also help them quite a bit on corporate strategy. So um, I uh, advise on M&A. I advise on where to invest, uh, their internal resources, external resources, who to partner with. The third thing that I do is work closely with uh, their various senior managers, their department heads, and um, sort of uh, work with them and train them on more modern ways of of designing and doing new things in the market. And so it's a very it's a very intensive uh, and a very practical way of of helping that just goes beyond giving advice. Um, I'm I'm deeply rooted in the in the clients I deal with. Hamza, you've written a lot about digital transformation. Um, why is it so difficult for companies to grapple with digital transformation? First, sort of taking a step back, a lot of people think that digital transformation is something that really old style companies have to grapple with. The fact of the matter is that every company is going through significant transformation and the ones who are not transforming are busy dying. Um, there is no question about it. And I'm not just talking about like mid-sized companies, talking about the largest companies in the world. They are all changing. And if they don't, if they don't change, if they don't transform and they don't embrace the more digital side of, of uh of the business, uh, they are likely to go obsolete pretty quickly. So I think that's sort of a preamble. So it's almost like saying uh, digital transformation is, uh, is, is as common as gravity. It is going to be there whether you like it or not. So I think that's one. The second thing is, why is it so hard? Uh, the fact is that everybody has to do it, big, small, successful, unsuccessful. Everybody is doing it. Why is it so hard? Why has it not become like a, like a skill like accounting? Or, or HR, in which you could say, look, this is a discipline. We know that we need to change. Here's how we deal with change. And I think that's because um, it's, I, I think a good example here is something that I and Kamal have been talking about. So it's, a, it's, it's a book that we are writing together on the subject. And I think the conclusion that both of us came up on this one is that asking people to change their fundamental assumptions and things that has made them successful in fact, have been things that they brought in as change maybe five years ago in a company and asking them that that is basically 
or sort of hinting at that it's not going to work anymore is uh, is a massive is a massive blow it's it's like asking people to change their religion and it is it's incredibly hard and um, i think the thing which is easier with religion is that you can at least give it a name you can give it a label uh, and it is something that you can talk about but with things like digital transformation or generally with this change that you need to do every f- few years now um, you can't even put a name to it you just call it incumbent mentality which is again feels really harsh uh, because that incumbent mentality really worked until like 4 years ago so i i think that is the the sort of the the labeling of it is really hard and generally you are asking someone to change their the 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 way they have modeled the world in their minds and what has made them successful until recently or is still making them successful but everybody knows that two years down the road it will become a big problem just sort of getting people to understand that i think that's the hard part the actual things of how to deal with it uh, i mean the books have been there's so many books that have been written on it it's not it's not rocket science hamza you wrote an article on medium earlier this year about uh precisely this you know the difficulties in terms of changing an organization that's going through digital transformation and you mentioned that it's not the technology that's the issue but it's really uh the organization and you said that actually leaders need to use storytelling a lot more when they are doing digital transformation what is the role of uh, storytelling in a digital transformation program the the article came from this research that mckinsey had done in which they had asked uh, senior managers in hundreds and i think 700 companies i'm not really sure what the absolute number was but it was a very large sample size of companies that were going through digital transformation and they asked uh, the senior managers in those companies hey what mattered the most and what came overwhelmingly on top of that very large sample was storytelling we need we need to be able to tell a convincing story and i have a bit of a theory behind it i think um as human beings we have evolved into into being these pattern recognition machines we have extremely complex but the way we go about the world is we recognize patterns we learn it and then we apply it later on and the the most basic form and probably the most intuitive form of pattern learning is definitely storytelling your mom told you stories when you were a kid you read story books throughout your life um it's the basic mechanism through which you learn how the patterns of the world work or how the big machine works and um if a if a leader is not able to tell a convincing story that is not just about numbers but it's also about people it's about the vision it's about the mission it's about this heroic tale of change um that that pattern does not get absorbed by the the human mind that well so i i think that is um and i will sort of bring it back to the parallel i was drawing with religion there are a lot of these great religions that we know of today started off with these great stories uh, that a few people really believed in and then then it spread out and out and out and there's a lot that you can learn from that um and and i think that is the crux of it that you need to because you need to change the core belief of a person you need to tell them a story that they can believe in um i think jeff bezos is really really good in telling those stories if you have read his um if you have read his shareholder letters their stories um you look at um steve jobs amazing storyteller uh, but the stories were less for the shareholders and more for his customers um 
and i think that's that's like a skill that if you're not good at it as a leader who has to manage change you probably need to 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 learn it and learn it pretty quickly and you know come to judge business school or wherever else you want to learn it from but you should so what are some of the elements of a good digital transformation story i think with as with all great stories and films and what not um um there are a couple of things that you need to keep in mind number 1 is um you need to make it about the customer so that it has to get out of this sort of personal bounds of where is my career going where is my department going what will be my increment next year you almost need to take that take take that part and make it sound like an outcome more of than uh, more of an outcome of a great customer experience or customers really getting the value out of out of what your company provides so um i think the first thing is this that the ultimate benefit uh, the beneficiary has to be the customer so i i think that is incredibly important so if i was to say there's a story about you know a princess that needs to be rescued in a in a castle the princess has to be the customer in the situation so i think that's one number 2 is i think the stakes need to be real which means there is there has to be some tragedy in the story and the tra- the tragedy has to be about the situation that the customer might be in and as a consequence the situation that the company might be in or uh, and if it's a very very woke company the company could effectively say we are the ones who created the situation we are sort of the villains of our own story so i think the stakes need to be really high in this story and uh, last but not the least the hero of the story has to be the group of people who believe in it and they are the ones who are going to do it so these are sort of these three components um really matter and i think that sort of um it's almost disconnecting um the the self from the story and saying look we are a group of people we need to save this princess in a tower uh sorry for the patriarchal references but there are no there's there not that many stories in which the man is stuck in the tower uh and if we don't save save the customer the tragedy is going to there's going to be a real tragedy which could either be this group disbanding or the other 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 customer suffering for long i think if you are able to do that uh in a credible way uh, i think it will it will get people motivated so of course there are stories that um have a happy ending and we all hope that the digital transformation projects end happily you spoke about uh in your media article about the importance of sunsetting digital transformation projects how do you go about uh how do you suggest leaders go about doing that when you say that you know very in 4 or 5 years the industry is going to change and you might have to do this all over again sunset almost makes it sound like that the change is over and as you have correctly pointed out is it's not this cycle of change is over but a new cycle is starting so i think the best way of making sure that um you are able to sunset uh, this specific cycle of change um is to is to use a tool for example such as the balance scorecard which says i am going to be focusing on these four factors one is customer satisfaction the other is my unit economics the third is uh, my uh, my goods and services penetrating into a different market the fourth could be um, certain financialism for example so i would say that if you have a good balance scorecard you are able to uh, you should be able to hit milestones that tell you whether this cycle of change 
has has come to its eventual end and um and i think the best way to one of the best ways to sunset one cycle of change is to probably start another one so um and both go in hand in hand and uh, it can be a lot of fun but i'm pretty sure it's exhausting for a lot of leaders as well but it's the right way of doing it many mbas are going to be joining top companies and they may be put into areas where they'd have to do these digital transformation projects in your experience what are some of the warning signs that MBAs should look out for to think, okay, this company is not going to make it through this whole digital transformation journey? It's a very good point, right? And I think as someone who is, I've, uh, I, can, I can start by saying that digital transformation can be incredibly taxing emotionally. It can be incredibly taxing cognitively for people who are involved in it. Um, um, for a brief amount of time, uh, the entire organization um, which is not involved in the in the change process uh, become antibodies to whatever ideas you bring to the table. So it you need to be very sure. The first of all, for MBAs, I would say they need to be very sure that uh, if they are taking on a role that is uh, has a majority focus on digital transformation, that they are ready to take it on. Um, and it's not to say that um, that you know not taking it on is is a, some sort of a sign of less ambition or less skill. But just recognizing that it will impact your working hours, it will impact your uh, your ability to 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 find Zen in your life because there's so much going on. It's very intense. So I think that's one. Uh, the second thing is that uh, I think what is really really important is to know if the CEO of the company is the visible champion of the change. That's the biggest difference between I've seen uh, between uh, change processes that have worked and the ones that haven't. Uh, if the CEO who is coming in is saying, I'm going to change this, uh, the chances are it will change. But if it is even some one step below, even if it's a C-level executive, one step below who is the face of the change, the chances are it's not going to work. Um, and the reason for that is that you can only really, really, really drive change if you're sitting at, uh, if you really believe in it and you have a lot of power, uh, and a lot of power from the board. Um, so, for example, one of the good examples is I, I would give is um, HSBC. So, HSBC recently, uh, the chairman of the board and the CEO of the board had a, had a, I think it's unofficial, but at least what the grapevine says, they had a big fallout and the CEO left. The CEO was 18 years in HSBC and the chairman was very, very new. The chairman was very close to the board and he was the guy that the board bought in to sort of orchestrate the 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 change process and uh, they had given the chairman a lot of power and the the ceo that they had placed was this insider who had been working in hsbc for 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 18 years and the rate of change was just not fast enough and within i think 18 months or 12 months the ceo left um and but the chairman stayed and i think that that's good because the chairman has the person with the most power, who's the visible face of the change, stayed. If it was somebody else, that would have been a big problem. So um, I, I think that that's the. So I think that's the big thing: is is the CEO the face of the change? There's a difference between being the face of the change and being supportive of the change. Being supportive of the change is you're saying, "Yep, I'll give you resources. I'll give you this. You drive it." The face of the change is somebody who comes on in front of the entire company and says, guys, this is not working out. 
So on an MBA, we will learn a lot about, uh, we learn a lot of case studies about how incumbents fail to see the challenges from disruptors. So the examples would be like Kodak, not seeing the uh, challenge from smartphones, or BlackBerry not seeing the challenge from Apple in smart, again from smartphones, uh, Netflix and Blockbuster. The list continues. Um, do you think that for an incumbent with that kind of huge market uh, share position, is there no hope for an incumbent in this kind of landscape? What can they do? Every startup is not, and every business model innovation is not as lethal as you would as people would think it to be. And um, that's probably one of the reasons that incumbents do chill out a bit because they go like, well, there were a hundred of these new guys come in, not even one survived or maybe two survived and they're too small to make a difference. Um, But on the other hand, it basically takes that one or two of them to change the the basic basic business model equation. And um, I think there are two things that incumbents can really do well. Uh, to in order to defend themselves. A, I think uh, mergers and acquisitions are a great way of keeping your DNA fresh uh, of the organization, and which means acquiring much smaller companies and then placing their leaders in your leadership team. If even if it does not, even if it's not a great fit, and even if there are some fallouts and people don't like it, that that sort of change in mindset at the very top um, changes things. And, and and you can see that with the very best companies out there that they they bring about that change through acquisitions. Um, so I think that's 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 number one. And they, when they do an acquisition, they place the person at the very top. They sit at, either they put them at the helm of the company or they put them um, second in line. And it's almost like mentoring the CEO and mentoring the board on when you are thinking. And it has to happen like a mechanical process for multiple years for it to really ingrain that rapid. So you can look at Cisco, look at Google, look at Amazon, at all of these all of these companies that have uh, done acquisitions and then gave the acquiring the, the acquired leaders visible uh, visible power and visible impact on decision making. I think that's one thing that uh, really the ones who can afford it can do it. Uh, I think for other incumbents, it's a lot about making sure that your um, that your talent pool is diversified. I think MBAs are great for that. Um, not because I'm on an MBA podcast, but because it just represents so much diversity that there is, uh, that if you do hire somebody or a group of people from, from a business school such as Judge, uh, you are bound to bring in not just the brightest talent, but also bring in people who have worked in, in potential disruptors or even understand the theory of disruption really well um, to sort of bring that execution, uh, the de- difference in execution uh, to, to the front lines. And I think these are the two two things. Everything else is really fluffy. You can say, oh, it's the learning mindset and constantly question everything. Those are philosophical things that leaders can choose to, or to do or not do. Finally, after you left the MBA, you worked in quite a number of industries, all, all kind of technology-related. Can you share a bit about what guided you in those years after the MBA in terms of what were your career choices? My first job post-MBA was at Amazon uh, in Luxembourg where I was uh, looking after pricing, digital marketing, and product development for the European automotive business. 
and a very excellent team very bright people and uh, amazing amazing leaders in that uh, in that in that role and i was extremely happy uh, at amazon uh, and in luxembourg um i think i i moved um, a year later to to a video games company called jagex and and the reason I, it was one of the hardest decisions i could take because amazon was going really well for me and i really enjoyed i enjoyed every aspect of it and i think there were two reasons why i, I went for that i think number one was it was the video games industry and something that i was very very passionate about as a consumer and this was it felt like the one chance of really getting my foot in the door and the second thing was uh, the the role that was offered to me was significantly more senior in a much smaller company um which which, me- which meant that i could um really double down on what i had learned in my mba uh, which is something that i could not do at that stage in my career at amazon so i think the the idea of working for a for a smaller but for a smaller company in a bigger role and being able to have a bigger impact in an industry that i absolutely loved uh made it a difficult decision that i eventually did take um i was in jagex for four years eventually uh helped sell the company for nearly half a billion dollars and uh then i was there for four years and i felt almost like my mission was over uh, and i had learned quite a lot and the, the company was really really successful and um the, the management team and the ceo were, were incredible like it was in a very good place um and i was then uh called by adstream which was um a company in in, in advertising technology which had very similar challenges to what jagex had uh, when i first joined and they wanted similar levels of they wa- they wanted to really turn the product department around they wanted to really become really good at uh creating these amazing digital experiences and really upgrade their customers away from the traditional model and i was there for around 2 years and uh, as chief product officer and um and it was an incredible turnaround story as well um and i'm i still consult for those guys um on on various facets of of strategy mna product as well now that i've become independent um but i think the common thread amongst amongst all of these three moves uh, post mba and even my current role is i i genuinely felt i could help solve a problem i know it sounds really cliched but if you don't really understand what problem you're going to solve when you're going into a company uh, you're probably going in the wrong role and for each of these i could see a very clear case of how i could i could really help and uh, in my role now as an independent consultant as an advisor i specifically work with clients that i think i can help um which means i do end up saying no to quite a few uh, quite a few uh, opportunities as a consequence of it because i'm just like mm, i don't think you need someone like me to do this you probably need someone like that and i think if you have that sort of mentality um i think your career can be quite fulfilling i mean you've obviously had a really successful career uh, after the mba but at each point when you change from like amazon to jagex and from jagex to adstream there was probably quite a bit of a risk you know you from amazon from such a big multinational well established brand name to jagex we have a small company how did you handle that risk emotionally and maybe from professionally i was really scared i think that especially every time like and the bigger roles you take the bigger your risk profile becomes it's the first person to get fired for poor performance is usually the head of the department and i quickly scaled very quick in seniority in each of these companies and um i didn't have a protective layer around me so i can tell you genuinely that 
in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, that really makes sense. But it was quite scary. I think I have a, I have a very good, uh, I have a, I have a very, very, very helpful and supportive wife, um, who I could really confide in and um, could really pick me up when I was down. Um, ironically, she's now doing her master's in psychology from Cambridge University. So probably my, my existentialist crisis every time I change jobs. Uh, helped helped her realize that she wanted to be a therapist down the road. Um, but I also had uh, I also had um, a network that I'd built uh, um, mostly post Cambridge out of Cambridge University. So whether it's the professor I'm working with now, Professor Kamal Munir, or um, it is my 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 peers from the biz, from the MBA, I could really go to them for advice and could really go to them even for venting and even for emotional support. And uh, I think. It's very easy to see someone who has, uh, who has had a fulfilling career or has um, on surface succeeded. Uh, you don't see all the other people holding them up. And I think that is what helped me digest the risk better. I think also earlier on in my career, I, especially around Jagex, I realized that the higher the risk, the higher the, usually the reward tends to be. And um, depending on the stage of life you are in, um, you can choose to take that risk. That was Hamza Mudassir. We started talking about digital transformation, but a lot of our conversation was about change management. How do leaders build an environment where their organizations and people can make the necessary changes? Not just once, but over and over again. It isn't easy, and I think that's why in competitive industries, you see so much change between and within organizations. I also want to thank one of our listeners, Frederick Kalinke, who listened to my wrap-up of 2019 episode. In that episode, I shared some of my hacks to bring focus to my digital and professional life. Frederick recommended a book to me called It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work by Jason Fried and David Hansen. Jason Fried is a founder of Basecamp, a remote software company, and David has been with Basecamp for a long time. David also developed the open-source web application framework Ruby on Rails. In this book, Jason and David talk about how the obsession with long hours and aggressive hustle is counterproductive. Instead, Basecamp is run on the idea that people and organizations should have more focus, fewer distractions, and celebrate calm instead of just being crazy. Frederick, thanks to the book recommendations, I've bought the ebook version and will read it. You can listen to this show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, subscribe if you've not done so. If you've already subscribed, thank you so much. Just one favor, share this with someone you know who would benefit from listening. And leave a rating and review. It helps others discover the show. Till next time, this is Conrad Chua on Changing Careers. Mm-hmm.